Activist Theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help us build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Incahunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Robin. Hey, Pastor, what's going on? Uh, not much. Like, I'm sequestered. Do we know what day it is? I don't know what day it is. I'm just glad that my phone tells me what day it is. <laughs> right? Thank, thank goodness for smartphones. I know. We need we need the uh, we need the the clarification sometimes. I I I have been asking each morning when my um, partner gets home. He he works overnights at an emergency veterinary clinic, and I've been asking him in the mornings when he comes home. So, what? Tell, remind me again what today is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's the only way I know. And then inevitably, halfway through the middle of the day, I forget. Yes. But I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to stay current on occasions. My yeah. mama's birthday. My mama's birthday is Saturday, and so I. Um, thankfully had already been to the store before all this nonsense hit and had gotten her card and the card is in the mail and I will get daughter points. And so that's about the level of normalcy that I can achieve right now. <laughs> you know, speaking of birthdays, I saw on Instagram how a colleague of mine did a birthday parade for her partner. A birthday parade? People waved and people had like banners on their cars wishing this person a happy birthday. Yeah, right? That's so sweet. Look, I am really, I'm, I'm there. I mean, as we, as we talked about in our bonus episode that, that dropped this week, our, our bitch cast, like there's a lot to complain about, but I'm seeing these really beautiful, like glimpses of humanity that just give me such feels in my, in my belly. Yeah. Um, have you seen, have you seen the teddy bear hunt, the neighborhood teddy bear hunts? No. So there are neighborhoods all across the country who are doing teddy bear hunts where they hide or, um, kind of place a teddy bear strategically around their home. Maybe it's in a window, maybe it's in like on the edge of their roof. Maybe it's like at the edge of the garage door, maybe it's hiding in a bush and families with little kids are going around the neighborhood on like a scavenger hunt to find all the teddy bears that are hidden in the homes around where they live. So this is like an Easter egg hunt, but with teddy bears. Exactly. And you know, like it's, and because it's being done from a distance, it's like, it's super fun for all these little kids to like you know, look and find where the teddy bear is hidden in their neighbor's, in their neighbor's yard or in their neighbor's house. And I just, I mean, what a sweet idea. Like just, A, it gets families outside and, but they're still in their small groups that are, you know, hopefully being, being safe, but you know, it gives the kids a little adventure. It's, it's creative. It's fun. I, I love it. I'm And and no teddy bears were harmed in this scavenger hunt. 
no teddy bears are harmed. No, okay, good. I just, good. I just think it's so sweet. I, um, and then I have a friend, which reminded me from the parade. I have a friend who lives in San Diego. He has uh, three little kids and his five-year-old little boy, his best friend turned five yesterday mm. and lives in the neighborhood. And because they couldn't get together for a birthday party, uh, the mom kind of decorated the front porch of their house as if it was a theater. So mm -hmm. hung up some sheets, like a yeah. curtain. And his little friend's favorite song is from the movie Aladdin. And he and his sisters did a performance, a lip sync performance to this song while the birthday boy sat on the sidewalk and watched his birthday, Aww. like his birthday play taking place on his friend's front porch. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's, God, it, I hope that we hang on to this kind of humanity Yeah. when we're out of this nonsense, right? Yeah. Like, I hope that that's the kind of humanity that, that emerges from this. Well, well, I mean, it's in line with our whole mission of getting our hands dirty um, and a new vision for humanity that we believe activist theology can chart a new story for humanity. Exactly. Um, and that story, th that story involves all of like all of our being. So right. not just, not just our minds or thinking, but our bodies. Right. And, and you and I have um, very confidently welcomed um, an expert in somatics um, onto the team um, we have someone who really kind of helps, I mean, helps both of us get into our bodies more, mm -hmm. um, during just kind of in the everyday practice of our, of our existence in running the organization. Um, but additionally, um, she has been able to kind of create a space in a lot of the um, events we go to when we're at the Wild Goose Festival, um, that gives everybody a really good understanding about what embodiment is, why it's important, how we should listen to and respond to what it is our body's telling us. Um, and we're really excited that she is going to be with us today on the yeah. podcast. Yeah, she's here. She's here. So everyone, if you all will join me in welcoming Erin Law to the podcast. Erin, um, we're really glad that you're here. Hey, y'all. It's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So, Erin, why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself first, and then we'll um, dive into the question of somatics and embodiment and, and kind of what, it, what gift you bring to this work. Sure, I'd be happy to. So, um, I am a white mostly cis woman <laughs> um <laughs> i love it it's it's complicated <laughs> maybe gender fluid i'm not really sure what what's going on there um queer um and uh a former dancer um i kind of believe that once when you're a dancer you're always a dancer and i i also believe that everyone can dance we'll get into that later um, but, um, really have, uh, spent more of my time lately in the arena of 
this thing called somatics, which we'll, we'll also dive into, and um, really encouraging folks um, to come home to their bodies um, in any way that I can, um, especially folks who do not have dance training and who do not have movement training and who might even feel uh, very uncomfortable with that idea. Um, and I think that that has come over a long um, a long period of time where I've had to shift my focus many, many times during my career in that it's been really tricky to just stay in one, one thing. I was um, a dance professor for a while, um, had a lot of difficulty with academia <laughs> and sort of the institution of it. Um, also had an injury uh, that sort of pushed me out even more of, of dancing full time. And that's really when I became more curious about uh, what is my, my inner sense? What is the inner world of my body? Um, and how can I use all of this education, use all this really privilege that I've had to, to study <clears throat> so deeply for so long? How can I offer that to the world um, who, who have not trained in dance? Um, how can I bring meaning to that? Um, and that kind of coupled with a lot of study in um, feminist theory and queer theory, um, a, a deep interest in racial justice, um, in environmental justice, um, uh, very interested in um, disability justice and, and research around that. So just all those things kind of come together to um, to land me here with with this amazing team where we all really share those passions. Um, I just get to do it through the lens of of the body and, and of, uh, movement. I love it. You know, when you mention that you are, that you often, you know, work with folks who are very uncomfortable with this concept. Um, when Aaron says that Aaron is referring to me, um, <laughs> I thought Aaron was referring to me. Well, okay. So Aaron is referring to both of us. <laughs> And, um, and thankfully, uh, is, is, is very, very, uh, gentle and gracious in, um, affirming both Robin and I in our, uh, embodiment quest, um, <laughs> much of which is not always, um, graceful right. and oftentimes radically uncomfortable. Mm. Well, but I do you. know how to shimmy. Well, anyone that anyone that watches the Instagram feed knows that you know how to shimmy. Yeah, and actually, Anna, that's all you're doing. You you are actually the the most talented movement coach on the whole team. Uh, <laughs> with, with that, and everybody needs to go to Instagram, sort of mine it for the shimmy. The shimmy. They're very Every, it's it's well all, worth your time, especially right is. now. It is right. I've, yeah, I've, it would be, it would got, be a really good I've got, good hole to dive into. Yeah, I've, I've got a quarantine <laughs> shimmy. That involves my arms. A quarantine shimmy? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, someone's going to have to record that because we are not in close proximity to right. one another. Right. Um, but we'll figure, we'll figure that out. Um, so, Aaron, I, I think 
I think the best place for us to start in this conversation around body is for you to give our listeners an understanding of kind of what somatics actually means. We, you know, a lot, I'm sure that we have people who understand the the way that they might listen to their body during, say, for instance, a yoga practice. Uh, they might listen to their body when they're exercising or doing something strenuous. Um, they might, they're, you know, they're listening to their body during, you know, a, a sexual or pleasure-based um, engagement. But this, this understanding that our bodies are um, speaking to us 24-7 is foreign, I think, to a lot of people. And so why don't you give everybody an understanding of what the practice of somatics is all about and why we use the term embodiment when we um, couple that that conversation together. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so yeah, I think you've already highlighted part of it is when people are intentionally um, engaged with their bodies, it's easy for them to have that awareness that, oh my gosh, my body is sending me all these messages while I'm in, in yoga and I'm really focusing on this or I'm having sex and I can feel something because that's the whole intention of the moment. I think uh, what you're getting at is that, yeah, the, the information never really stops. Uh, it's just that often uh, the chatter of our minds or the busyness of our schedules will take us away from the reality that our body is always offering. And so uh, the way I like to define somatics is really centering the felt inner experience of the body uh, as a primary way of knowing and being in the world. Um, and I'm borrowing in part that definition from uh, a somatic practitioner named Thomas Hanna. And he, um, <clears throat> he actually coined the term somatics. Uh, and I also think <clears throat> in this conversation, it's important to note that while he coined that term and he did some really amazing work in terms of helping people basically repattern their neuromuscular system, in other words, helping people to um, forge new pathways so their neurons are firing uh, and they're, they're regaining movement possibilities. Um, through deep focus and through movement practice, uh, that was one of the things that he did. And, and many somatic practices are actually um, based around that. But I'd like to also highlight that this is something that um, Black, Indigenous, people of color communities have really always had at the center. And so um, when I come into uh, somatic practice, I just always like to remind us all that this is ancient, ancient wisdom. Um, and what white folks have done in every other arena, they've managed to do here too, um, in that they have sort of put a stamp on it and put science language around it um, <clears throat> to make it quote unquote official and to sort of have some sort of power over it. Um, 
but there is, there is something that I do think, um, a lot of white folks have contributed, um, regardless of, of the sort of power dynamics. And that is just simply allowing us all to have an inroad into what our bodies are trying to say. So, um, along with embodiment, I think somatics, because it is so complex and it is still a word that is new for a lot of people, while it may be being tossed around quite a bit, um, I think I like to couple the word embodiment with it for a couple reasons. Um, one, embodiment literally brings the word body to the forefront, and most people have a better sense of what that is um, or can guess at it rather than saying somatics. Um, and they really are different. I think to embody something means that it gets into ourselves. It gets into the sort of the fabric of our being um, and we're able to live it out. That And that is part of why I think that word really works so well with what we are trying to do on this team, literally around activist theology, like activating our beliefs uh through the way that we embody them and carry them out in the world um, yeah. so that's why i think that that term is really important and just i just think it it allows folks in um and access a little bit more to what we might be doing yeah i love that i love how you talk about uh, the literal embodiment within the cells of of our own materiality. And as I was listening to you define embodiment and somatics and given us the historical um, memory of it, I'm reminded that I wrote my PhD dissertation on the materiality of the body and, and traced the notion of becoming through philosophy and theology and, you know, wrote 300 pages about becoming and bodies, but not once did I talk about embodiment and how there is a, a, a distinct break within academic discourse that de-privileges the body and that centralizes everything around thinking and thought. And really what, what this is an opportunity to do is to try to flip that and to try to privilege the body. And of course, in different religious traditions, different faith traditions, the body is deemed evil or weak or not central to thriving. But really what we're trying to do here is say, actually the body is central to healing, central to flourishing and central to living out our politics. And I'm really struck by how, how that is such a vast difference than what we see in the news or in academia or even in medicine or religion for that part. Yeah, um, I think there's something powerful that you are articulating around. Um, I mean, many people we'll call it the Cartesian split, um, which means, uh, you know, I think therefore I am, which means the mind rules everything. And then that also leads us into this sense of individualism and uh, 
<clears throat> this sort of cellular uh, isolation, which we're seeing right now in this pandemic, really can't um, work out. <laughs> um, and I think uh, there's something around that that Cartesian split in academia, even in dance, um, where, you know, we, I was just telling you, Robin, the other day that, you know, I was showing you actually my uh, undergraduate thesis that I wrote um, as a, um, an honors student in dance. And <clears throat> I wrote 85 pages. And, and even in my uh, master's program, I had to write a thesis um, that only accompanied this really long uh, creative process where I made dances. And so um, I was left with the sense that making the dance wasn't enough, uh, that I had to also articulate it and I had to, um, to be able to defend it, you know, just like any, anyone else would in a, in a master's or a dissertation or something like that. Um, and I, while I really value that process, I think there's something really beautiful about connecting um, and making meaning from movement where we actually do articulate. I think that's very important. At the same time, um, it almost always points to, well, you, you need to be able to validate it with actual written language. Um, you need to be able to, uh, and then again, like you're saying, it just privileges the mind. And so um, I think somatics is, is a field that has the potential to um, not necessarily flip that, but to offer another inroad. Um, because all the things are important. Our minds are important. Um, our words are important, right? But it's how do we have a healthy balance of all of those things? And how do we integrate those things in a way that helps us become whole humans for ourselves and then to be able to be in relationship with other whole humans. Like, just imagine how incredible uh, we really could be as a culture if we could do that. I, it's, it's a question that is uh, aspirational, um, but also really demands that we that we think hard about it because you're I mean you're right we you know the better we are with one another alongside one another in conjunction with one another and, and for one another uh, the more likelihood the, the more likely our humanity is to to see its its full potential um, so what I can I just respond to that Anna because yeah. You, you offer something, you offer some language um, that I think is really helpful that um, alongside or with or in conjunction and our bodies are knit together in, in a way that helps us see how deeply connected our bodies are. Mm. And if we can take that and expand it and talk about how networked we are as people and how interconnected we are as people, then embodiment might really be the inroad for a type of social healing that we've just not seen yet. Right. Yeah. I, I would jump in too and just say that what you're talking about really both of you is this um, interconnection that we all have 
Um, and even I would go so far as to borrow from Adrian Marie Brown's work in sort of defining qualities of emergent strategy, where she talks about interdependence. I know she wasn't the first person to name this concept, but um, just that sense that, yes, in the natural world, uh, there are networks of trees who are interconnected, even though you can't see it, they're speaking to each other, right? And um, our cells in our bodies are working all the time, speaking to each other, keeping us alive, changing, moving. Um, and we, we don't necessarily have that awareness. And so if we, if it actually reminds me, Anna, of what you were, um, just so joyfully commenting on in the, in the introduction around the teddy bear hunt. Um, I think there's something really important about that because what I hear in that is that it's shifting people's attention and what we, as Adrienne Marie Brown says, what we pay attention to grows. Mm. And so if we pay attention to that, our bodies in and of themselves are interconnected. If we pay attention to that, my body is connected to your body. If we pay attention to these ways that we are lifting each other up and loving each other through this crazy time, then that is ultimately what will grow. So it sounds hippy dippy sometimes, but if you think about it, it's like, well, um, a random example, like I, I might be, um, all of a sudden I might think, oh my gosh, you know what? I really love red hawk, red tail hawks. And, um, you know, actually this reminds me of our, our, our colleague, Melissa Green. I think she tells this story about hawks and, um, she's, she's obsessed with hawks. And so she said, um, you know, one time she was paying attention, she happened to see a hawk and then she thought, oh my gosh. And so she started thinking about it and she loves them so much. And then she would just start to see these hawks everywhere. She tells this story so much more beautifully and it's, it's a much deeper story when she tells it. But what she realized is um, that actually where we are in Tennessee, there's, it's like a breeding ground for red-tailed hawks. And so they actually are everywhere. And, uh, you know, it felt like an epiphany at the time um, or this messenger, you know, um, that that brought her so much delight and joy but then she realized no they're actually everywhere and if you if you orient your attention to uh to this thing then then that is indeed what grows in your experience so so i I have so many questions erin uh (laughs) let me start let me start um with um let me start with this one uh how do you I'm going to start with it because it's really my own personal question. Um, how do you take someone or how do you encourage someone who is disconnected from their body? Um, sometimes because of a trauma response, sometimes because of um, just kind of a conditioning to not listen or, or feel. Uh, I mean, any number of things can can disconnect us. But how do you how do you what are some practices or some um, techniques that you might use to encourage someone who doesn't understand how to listen to their body and how to kind of dig deeply into what's going on in, in, at a cellular level 
um, to do so? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, there are a lot of inroads that I could suggest. I want to name first off that I don't have training as a uh, mental health professional or a um, a therapist, you know, in in any regard. Um, and so, some of the responses I would give may not be appropriate for folks who have had a lot of deep trauma without uh, sort of having a space held for them by um, by a mental health professional. So I just would name that as a disclaimer. Um, but I think, you know, there's two things that come to mind. Uh, well, three. The first is, honestly, it there needs to just be an awareness or uh, and a desire um, to, to push in just a little bit. So obviously we can't force anybody, um, to, to get into their bodies. And often the reason people do disconnect is like you said, uh, there's been some deep trauma. It's been an unsafe place for them. And so, uh, they found ways to, uh, disregard the discomfort that they're feeling. Um, but I think that if they are willing, um, and there is an awareness of, hey, maybe I could just uh, listen to what my body has to say, um, two things come to mind. One is, uh, a lot of people will say, start with breath work. And I myself do this a lot, um, just simply noticing how you're breathing, um, where the breath is happening, how long the inhale is, how long the exhale is. Um, and then sort of maybe manipulating it from there um, in order to simulate a lot of things. I mean, breath does incredible things on a physiological level um, and usually results in us feeling um, a better sense of calm, um, a, a groundedness, um, maybe even sort of a fluidity where we might have felt stiff before. And I say all that to say sometimes for folks who have specifically have a, a trauma, um, a trauma in their, in their past, um, breath can actually be kind of an unsafe place to start, um, because it brings you right down into your core and it brings you right down into sort of the center of your body and your being. And sometimes that's actually too much. So for folks who, um, who are sort of in that place where breath work doesn't always feel like the safest thing. I actually think um, it, it works for us to start with curiosity at the edges of our body. So like, what do I, what, what can I feel? What do I have a, a sensation in? Where, where do I have maybe a sense of control in my body? So for me, like uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is my hands. Um, so Maybe I can do um, some work just in, can I feel uh, all of my fingertips? And I'm, I'm actually, I know no one can see me, but I'm actually pressing my, my fingertips together against my thumb. And then can I feel the rest of my, my finger? Can I move each of my fingers? And then does that sort of drain into my hand um, and maybe even my wrist? And then maybe just sit with that and notice what I feel. Um, so the, I think there are a million different ways that we can access 
uh, the body. And I think if there is trauma um, or there are, you know, deep concerns or there's a, a deep sense of disconnection, um, it's probably safer to do this type of work with um, a professional who um, who can, you know, help guide you through uh, some initial experiences. And then over time, right, it gets to be this thing that you can pay attention to. And it's just like anything else. I mean, it's like, um, not learning to ride a bike, but you know, something similar, like, um, you didn't know how to cook, fry some eggs and you fail a couple times and then you get better at it. It's the same thing as practicing, this awareness to the process. Um, and, and my hope is that as folks begin to, to practice that, that awareness just becomes more uh, available to us. And it honestly, it comes in baby, baby, baby steps. Um, and I can even say that as somebody who has a movement background, like I've been dancing forever since I was a child. But I always say, I don't think I was always an embodied dancer. I don't think I was always dancing from a somatic place. Uh, it's easy to move from the outside and not from the inside um, and to push things down, to push sensations down, to push through pain. Um, it's easy to do that when you've conditioned yourself to do it. It becomes less easy when you've conditioned yourself to pay attention and listen and slow down and just sit with what is coming up. Mm, nice. I, so I don't know that. if that's helpful. <laughs> no, it's it, is, it is helpful. I think Robin, I'd love, I'd love for you to, um, uh, maybe guide this conversation into the space of, of us getting our hands dirty in the work. Um, and, and what you think, and, and you and Aaron both can, can riff on this, why you think it is important for us to be mindful of our bodies and what, what our, our bodies bring to the work as we're actually physically putting our bodies in the midst of solidarity and liberation work. Yeah. So I, I have this idea that, that somatics as a field and embodiment as a practice can create conditions for social healing. And after I did this workshop called Dismantling Supremacy Culture in Nashville a year and a half ago, Aaron came up to me and said, have you ever thought about the body? And I was like, actually, yes, but no one will have that conversation with me. And so Aaron and I started a conversation around the intersection of somatics and activist theology. And I think that in the same way that spiritual care or pastoral care is important for all of life's journey, learning to listen to our bodies and get into our bodies and and live a life of embodied politics, um, those, those things are, are parallel for me. So when we learn how to 
you know, I, I have a history of saying, I don't care what you believe. I care about your politics. That is true. But it's it's the kind of politics that that will help shape our democracy. And I believe that the kind of politics that will help shape our our democracy, our society is an embodied politic. And so this being able to understand the story of our own body and the story of our body in connection with other body stories when we show up to to do the work of liberation that i have this idea that when the more we do that the more we show up in an embodied politic the more conditions are created for radical social change now that's just a hunch i have that's the intuition i have i don't have any evidence other than i just have this idea and 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 it was an idea that that before Aaron came along and joined our team, I was reaching out to somatics people saying, Hey, I have this idea, but no one would get in touch with me. And maybe that's because, you know, I come from this as a theologian and ethicist, you know, so from a sort of broader religious perspective that people were like, no, I don't want to enter into that conversation. Um, but if we're really serious about ritual and meaning making, I think that starts at the body first, and it's part of the heart work of activist theology that we're trying to bridge together. And so when I when I talk from a movement ecology perspective, um, our bodies are part of the thinking, our bodies are part of the building togetherness, and our bodies are part of the resources that, that we provide. So I just think embodiment was the missing link and thank God that Aaron came to the workshop and engaged me. I am, um, you know, I'm thinking about, I, I come at this as, as you both know, you know, with a, a, a pastoral and a Christian theology uh, perspective and, and vantage point. And I'm, you know, I, I am, I am one who always, right or wrong, always kind of draws uh, or looks to draw a correlation between um, my faith history um, and, and what I know to have been true, um, you know, d during the, the times of, of Moses and, and David and, and then into Jesus um, as well as, you know, what I'm, what I see in, in present day. And I, I think it's really hard for any of us to say that embodiment and the recognition of uh, collective action of journeying in, in, uh, in teams, journeying in, you know, in collaboration with one another um, and in listening to the ways that God spoke to people through their bodies and through their minds and their hearts. It's really hard to, to say that, that, that this, this understanding uh, hasn't been with those of us that come at this from a Christian perspective for a really, really, really long time. 
I know Aaron mentioned, you know, at the beginning that, you know, we as white folk have, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of co-opted this, this understanding of somatics and embodiment, and we've put scientific language around it, but we have a, we have a, um, a, a, a perspective from indigenous folks and, and people of color for centuries gone by that, that this work is, is work that, that they, that they have been listening to and, and embodying for a really long time. It, the same for me is true from a, from a Christian perspective. I wonder, you know, how do we as white folk, especially get around um, get kind of get out of our own way and listen to the stories that these ancestors of ours have told us. I mean, last week we, you know, talked with um, Layla Saad and, and, and spoke a lot about ancestry as, as a means by which we listen deeply to what we know. How do, how do we as white folks move and embody this work without or, or and listen to the the teachings that have come before us in ways that that are that that have integrity. Mm, that's a, such a good question. Um, I think that the there's an important thing that we're we're highlighting, or that I think you're starting to articulate, Anna, and that is um, that we in if I'm going to say whiteness as a concept um, does require us, if we're going to be allegiant to it, it does require us to unhinge from sensation. Um, it does uh, require us to unhinge from our bodies in a certain way. Um, and so I think that inherent in uh, whiteness as sort of a, a problematic power dynamic is actually disembodiment, um, is ignoring what's going on uh, with our flesh. Um, and so I think that part of our responsibility is to, um, to, be, to be in our bodies and to, um, to, to listen to what they have to say or to learn, try to learn to listen. Um, why do you why do you think often, we are that way? Why do you think we why do you think we are disembodied yeah. or or permit yeah. ourselves to be and mass? So I yeah, so I think there's um I think in a way it goes back to what Robin was discussing earlier around the Cartesian split, where if the mind is valued, then we have to push down um the needs of the body. Uh we have to push down the fact that the body is vulnerable, um, we have to push down um, in, in if we're talking about this in terms of a sort of a white supremacist uh, um, concept, then uh, we have to reject um, what is central to black bodies or indigenous bodies um, where culturally there is a past of being deeply embodied um, and of of having this um, this sense of what the body needs and how to um, even move and celebrate the flesh 
Um, so I do think there's something around that. Um, and I also want to highlight too, that, <laughs> uh, we were talking, someone was mentioning, um, Jesus. And I think there's, that was me. Uh, Ro- yes. <laughs> Ro- Robin, Robin, Robin's met their Jesus quota for the week. So they don't have to mention him anymore. Now, now, Anna, I feel like you're putting words in my mouth right now that I do like Jesus a lot. I, really do. I just, I just feel like when Jesus said, don't touch me. He meant, he meant stay six feet away. No. <laughs> so, Aaron, can I ask you a question? Because well, yeah, I was going to finish that thought. Oh, okay, yeah. I would love to hear your question, but just that Jesus, that Jesus, um, is it is in in the Christian tradition the 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 reason Jesus matters is his incarnation, is his body, is that God is with us in human flesh right. and can feel our pain and can feel our suffering and. I believe that he probably had like, you know, brownish skin. And so there's something there. Um, and I, I can't quite articulate it as clearly as I would want, but there's something there that um, I think that religious, uh, a religion as an institution has sought to push down and control. And so then we're totally missing his whole deal of like hey guys i'm with you and hey your bodies really matter and and so anyway that is all i wanted to say so um so yeah well aaron i wanted to ask about when you talk about white supremacy Mm. because as as most of our listeners know we do work to dismantle supremacy culture and one of the cultures of supremacy is racial supremacy or white supremacy And when I think about white supremacy, and I've seen some commercials on MSNBC where places in Germany are um, touting make Germany hate again. Mm -hmm. And when I think about hatred and when I think about people coming together to build a network of hatred I really think that that is embodied. And so when we, and and maybe it's internalized in a way, but when we talk about embodying politics, I'm not talking about the embodiment of white supremacy as a particular politic. And so would you say, Aaron, that white supremacy is something that is embodied? In a way, yeah, I think that we, I I do, I wonder about the differentiation between internalizing something and embodying it. Uh, That would be worth writing a whole book about. Um, I do think there is an internalization um, of white supremacy. And what actually instantly comes to my mind as you've brought up the example of the, um, of the, the commercial in Germany around hatred is um, uh, Jonathan Metzl's book, uh, Dying of Whiteness. Um, yeah. I didn't get to read the entire thing. I know you and, and Anna got to 
to take in most yeah. of it, if not all of it. But I, what, what really sticks in my mind is he gives this example of this person who is dying literally because he has um, some sort of kidney disorder or something like that. Right. And if he had, um, if he had accepted Obamacare, um, you know, for health insurance, he would have had immediate access to uh, life-saving um, medicine, and he he would have lived. And because he was so adamantly against Obamacare, because he felt like uh, that is only for welfare queens and um, and others. Yeah, I'm sure he said all sorts of other slurs. I cannot remember what he said, but something along those lines. He associated accepting Obamacare with uh, what I understand as, as blackness. And so he had internalized white supremacy to the point that he refused this care that could have saved his life. And as a result, he died. And right. so in a way, um, I do think there is both an internalization and an embodiment. I actually think this is um, also linked with a sense of um, hyper masculinity yeah. and toxic masculinity in that uh, there is like I am also it, part of what I do is a movement analysis. And, and so in um, what I've noticed as a movement analyst is folks who generally are taking on this stance of, of deep hatred um, and harm, it often is embodied in ways where they, uh, they literally take up space through um, aggressive movement by making their bodies bigger, through chanting, um, through really aggressive action. And so mm -hmm. they, they are actually embodying uh, a hatred. Uh, they're yeah. embodying a particular theology. Yeah. And um, I would go so far as to guess that that is uh, damaging for yeah. for their 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 cells, for their tissue, for their their whole um, body system. It's um, harm producing, I would say. It produces harm to the body. Whereas yeah. somatics as a field and embodiment practices is harm reducing exactly. and harm production. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know if I answered your question, but. <laughs> no, yeah. I just think, you know, it's something to think about in a world where right now we are embodying panic. And I feel very curious about what is the panic and anxiety and fear doing to our bodies and mm. how do we embody a liberating politic right now yeah. so that we can heal society uh, i know that we're trying to do that once a week on zoom for our embodiment practice we're trying to do that during coffee hour and we're trying to do that with front porch gatherings but in a time of global pandemic when when all we know is uncertainty. Yeah. That's our, that's our new normal right now is uncertainty. Yeah. What 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 do we do? Like how do we how do we live yeah. this embodied life in in yeah. this moment? I mean, that's an excellent question and um I I'm equally curious. Um I think something that comes to my mind instantly is you know, there's been some really beautiful research that's been done 
um, around how trauma affects our nervous system. Um, and really, I, I mean, if it affects our nervous system, it affects our body on the whole. Change in one part changes the whole. Uh, so I, I recently read this thing, and I have no idea where it came from, so I really apologize. I can't cite it. Um, but they, this person was articulating that right now in this moment, uh, normally we have a few options as a trauma response, um, which we typically go, okay, we have fight or flight, right? I'm going to fight this and be really aggressive in this moment as a way to work through the trauma, or I'm just going to leave. And uh, this person was articulating that neither of those things are available. And so we have to fall into the third, which is to freeze. And when we freeze, our systems actually just shut down to protect us. This is a protective mechanism. So our bodies are working hard to keep us well, uh, whether we feel that way or acknowledge it or not. Like, even though we might be feeling lots of terrible things on a daily basis, like our bodies are doing that for us as a way to protect us. Like that is hardwired in. Yeah. And then within that though, um, you know, you talk about the word panic, the root of that is fear. And so um, of course we're all feeling fear. There, mm -hmm. We can't not feel the fear. Um, but it's, again, a matter of how much attention we choose to give to that and um, and how much we can manage that. I mean, some of us mm -hmm. can't. Like, I have definitely experienced a lot more anxiety, a lot more grief, a lot more sadness um, than I normally would on a daily basis. Yeah. And so, um, <laughs> unfortunately for many people... Um, who have been conditioned to be in this capitalist machine where we run from one thing to the next, we overschedule ourselves, we work ourselves to the bone. What I think our bodies are, are asking us to do and what Mother Nature is asking us to do is stop yeah. and rest and feel. Yeah. And those are not things that we have practiced really at all in this culture. And uh, those are things that we do practice all the time in somatics mm -hmm. is yeah. how do I feel when I have over muscled something or when I have um, strained too hard, babies are perfect at this. Like they know exactly how much energy they have. And when they spend it, they're like, and I'm taking a nap. Yeah, we we've learned how to um, live in overdrive. Yeah, push through those responses, and so I think that um, our bodies are asking us to to rest and to um, to feel, but we often may experience some resistance yeah. to that because it's just so unfamiliar. Yeah. Um, so I think there's that. And then the other thing is that I think our bodies are naturally adapting to our circumstances. Um, mm -hmm. And again, that doesn't always feel good um, to be inside all the time. And especially for folks who are alone, um, you know, our bodies, we need, we do actually need human contact. We need 
touch. We need um, we need to uh, be mirrored and witnessed by others. And so um, there is, unfortunately, there is a deficit um, for many people right now around that. Um, so yeah, there's a lot there. There's a yeah. lot there. Yeah. Thank you. That's really helpful. And and for folks who, um, Aaron mentioned this capitalist machine is asking us or demanding us to stop and rest. I just want to highlight the NAP ministry as a helpful place to go and learn more about stopping and resting. My spirit animal is the sloth. And so I'm real good at slowing down the slow living. I know really you're laughing at good. me, Anna. Did we tell you about the cruise that we took and where I slept? I think everybody knows about that by now. But but really, the this this white um, white supremacist capitalist machine of a world that we've built is literally asking us to stop what we are doing and to rest and to breathe. And the Nat Ministry is a great resource to learn how to do that and to learn how to lean into being anti productive. Yeah, uh, they they are. I, anyway. I would want to jump in and say, I don't think the capitalist machine is at all asking us to rest. I think Mother Nature is asking yes. us to rest yes. in resistance to what we have learned from this thing that is fake and isn't actually yes. real. And I absolutely was just going to talk about the nap ministry. So I'm glad you brought that up Yeah, um, because they really do such a beautiful job of um, really holding space for folks who are trying to um, unlearn these ways of being. I mean, they're deeply ingrained in all of us, me included, just because I'm a somatics practitioner right. does right. not mean that I am immune to this. It is, right. it is just as hard for me uh, to stop and, and, and feel. And I think that I want to just articulate one more thing is just that, yes, mother nature is asking us to rest um, but when I keep saying rest and feel, that means active rest. So while mm. sleep is so important, it's so important. You should take naps. You should be um, physically rested. There's another form of rest, which is an, an aware and almost active rest, which I know sounds like an oxymoron, but it's like, how do we rest and, and keep our awareness, keep our consciousness expanded within right. the rest? Right. And then how do we act then from that place, we can access the restful mind in times of crisis like this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is, this is great. This, this has been really great. helpful. Yeah. I think. Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you for being a part of the team. Thank you for spending some time with us today to give our listeners a perspective on kind of what might be going on in their bodies right now and how they should listen to it. Uh, friends, we hope that uh, if you do nothing else when this podcast ends, you take a few deep breaths you kind of sit with yourself, listen to what your body's telling you, um, get some active rest and some passive rest <laughs> and, and, and really, and really do your best during these crazy times to listen deeply to what it is your body's trying to tell you. At the same time, remember, remember that we are all interconnected. Every one of us, every cell in our body 
is related to the cell in another. My cellular makeup is intrinsically related to yours. Robin's is intrinsically related to yours. Aaron's is intrinsically related to yours. And as we do this work, as we get our hands dirty, as we figure out what it means to be people of activism and theology and liberation and solidarity in the world, just remember how important it is that we do this work together. I love that, you know, this this emphasis on remembering my patron saint, Gloria Anzadua, talked about putting herself back right. together, remembering right. herself. And that's really what we're talking exactly. about here when we're talking about embodiment and liberation is putting ourselves back together through story, through embodiment, so that we could really build the kind of world we long to inhabit. Let's get free, y'all. Yeah. I just want to say thank you both so much for having me um, in this conversation. I feel so deeply honored to be on this podcast, to have a platform. It feels like an incredible gift to um, be able to talk about work that uh, a lot of people have a lot of resistance to, but I've poured my yeah. life into. And so I yeah. just want to thank you for using your platform and your privilege um, to 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 listen to me and to have me as part of your team. It, it is, it's such a deep honor. It feels like a life's calling. Um, and I, I also just really quick want to mention, uh, you, you guys might be planning to do this, but we do have, we do have, um, for now, uh, while we're all quarantined, those of us who have the privilege of having access to a computer and to, some internet into a little bit of space. We're offering an embodiment session on Sundays at 3 p.m. Central Time, um, and the Zoom link is available all over the place. So we would love to see you um, if this is something that you feel like you might want to to dip your toe in. You can turn the camera part off so you you know you can just hear the instructions. That's what I, that's what I do. Facilitation. <laughs> uh, you know, there's no pressure for you to be there the whole time, you know, but just, just wanted to offer that and, and just say a deep, deep thank you. I have so much gratitude. Oh, thanks. And thanks also for mentioning that we're offering the embodiment sessions on Sunday. Uh, those are free right now. And we want y'all to be able to, um, just dip your toes into an embodiment practice in this weird and strange time. Well, thanks everybody. We'll see you all again next week. All right. Bye y'all. Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support the podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, activist and theology share a T. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray, our friends. Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. Yeah,